Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Psychology. Every week I've been talking to you about uh, different kinds of ologists. Ologists that you're familiar with, like I mentioned uh, ophthalmologists, those guys that work on your eyes. I've uh, talked to or talked to you about, I haven't talked, I've talked to you about psychologists, <laughs> sociologists, all different kinds of ologists. But this morning I want to mention an ologist that I've dou- I doubt you've ever even heard of. All right, so listen very carefully. I'm going to try to say this right. It's kind of a weird word. It's dactylologist. How many of you have ever heard of a dactylologist? Anybody got a guess as to what a dactylologist does? What? What is it? Did you know? Oh, shoot. I was hoping somebody knew. Okay. It's the study of, this is kind of weird, it's the study of finger rings or somebody that makes finger rings or toe rings. That's a dactylologist. Now, the reason we don't know that is because the guys try to avoid the dactylologist all they can, and the woman, the women try to get us to go see a dactylologist all the time, but we try to avoid that because we understand that if we show up at the dactylologist, it's going to be an expensive study, understand? So we avoid the dactylologist at all costs, right? Well, interesting thing about the psychologist. I told you that there was one psychologist that ever walked the face of the earth, and he was the most incredible psychologist. He understood sick people. An interesting thing about Jesus People didn't avoid him. All the sick folks were trying to get as close to him as they possibly could. Another interesting thing I thought about was this. Not only did sick people try to get next to him, but well people would bring sick people to him. Like Jairus wanted his daughter healed. Jairus wasn't sick. His daughter was sick, right? And I thought about the four men that had a sick friend, and they brought him on the pallet, and they tore the roof off of the building and dropped the the pallet in so that the sick man could be made well. People would try to get sick folks to Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to go back and look at an account of Scripture, one of my favorite, but also one of those passages that bothers you badly in the whole Bible as far as I'm concerned. So let's go learn some sick truth quickly this morning. In Mark chapter 8, There is an account that I want to read to you. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Listen very carefully. They're talking about Jesus, and it says, He come to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town, or in the King James it says the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw as he ought. And, And he looked up, and he said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands upon his eyes again, and he made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, or again in the King James, it says, Neither go into the village, nor tell it to anyone in the town. Then in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, Jesus is at church, and this is what happens. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So let's learn some things from this account. The first thing that jumps off this page to me when we're dealing with the issue of this man who is blind is that the psychologist will take you out of your comfort zone. Notice, if you will, that Jesus walks into a village, and of all the sick people that they could have brought to him, because how many of you know that every town I've ever been in, there are a bunch of sick folks there? I, I think they had the pick of the lot. There were people there that had leprosy. There were people there that had uh, a cold. There were people there that had arthritis. There were people there that had diabetes. There were people there that couldn't walk. And of all the people they selected, for whatever reason, they picked this one young man. You know what I think? I think he was the village pet. I, I think that he had probably grown up in that village. I can't prove it by Scripture, but I believe he had probably been born there. He had never left there. I think that he was the village pet. And so of all the people that they could have brought to Jesus, they picked this one young man, and they stand him in front of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. We love this young man so much that we want you to heal him and give him his sight back. But I think something interesting took place. See, I think that this, this man was so comfortable in this environment. I think he grew up in this environment. I think that the village was his comfort zone. I think it was his safe zone. You know how blind folks are. They, they figure out their surroundings. And I think he was so familiar with his surroundings that he could do this. I think when he was walking through town, he could count his steps and go, you know, if I walk 22 steps forward, there is a water fountain there. And if I'm not careful, I'll trip over the curb and I'll fall into the pool and I'll make a fool of myself. So I know that I've got 22 steps that way. And then I know this. I've got 14 steps to the right. There's an apple stand there. And if I'm not careful, I'll bump into the apple stand and I'll knock them all out. And the farmer that brought them to the market will be mad at me. And 12 steps to the left, there's a huge tree. And if I'm not careful, I'll, bump, I'll hit my head on the tree and bruise myself. And nine steps backwards, there's a park bench right there. And I'll fall over that if I'm not careful. He was comfortable in that environment. Did you notice the first thing that Jesus did? When Jesus was confronted with this sick man. The Bible says that Jesus took this blind man and he led him out of his village. In other words, he took him out of his comfort zone. And I came to tell you some sick truth this morning and that is this. Jesus wants to get us out of our comfort zone. In fact, some of you have been uncomfortable this morning because you're not accustomed to this kind of praise and worship and it's made you uncomfortable. And you're sitting there thinking, if they would have just sung a hymn I could have worshipped, that would have made me comfortable. If we could have just sat down while we worship, that would make me comfortable. But Jesus wants to make you and will make you uncomfortable. Jesus specializes in taking us out of our comfort zone and a lot of times he will do it even if we're kicking and screaming on the way out of town and I just wanted to tell you this morning that some of you are way too comfortable some of you've got it all figured out. You know how many songs that we need to sing. You know what songs we need to sing. You know the format, the program. And you've grown comfortable in your spiritual walk. And the sick truth for you this morning is that Jesus wants to make you uncomfortable. He wants to stretch you. There's more in God than you've already experienced. There's more because the Bible says that we are to move from faith to faith and glory to glory. There is an upward progression. And the only way to get there is to get out of our comfort zone because we are creatures of habit and creatures of comfort 
In fact, you know what we do? We take the path of least resistance. Whatever got me to point A, I will continue to do that. And when I experience God at point A, then I will sit down and stay there the rest of my life because that's what I'm comfortable with. And I become so comfortable with what I've already experienced that I'm not willing to get up and press any further because to leave A, I have to become uncomfortable with A and stretch for B. And I am challenging you this morning is that is in this truth right here. Jesus does not want you to be comfortable. Jesus wants to make you uncomfortable. He wants to keep you on the edge of your seat. He wants to keep you guessing a little bit so that you will follow him into bigger and greater and higher and deeper things. And the only way that you can do that is to get you out of your comfort zone. The second sick truth is this. The psychologist may be speechless when he's dealing with you. Notice, if you will, that Jesus takes this man by the hand. He leads him out of the village, and he doesn't say anything to him. I don't know if you've ever spent any time around blind folks before. I've had that opportunity, and I've come to realize that blind folks rely on all their other senses. They, they get really adept at touch. They can read Braille, just little dots that I don't think mean anything. They can read an entire book in Braille. They get real sensitive in their smell. They can smell things and know instantly what it, what it is, and, and, but the one sense that becomes more heightened than all of them, in my opinion, is hearing. You, they, can, they can recognize voices. They can hear a pin drop in a crowded room. They become extremely capable of hearing. And notice, if you will, that Jesus runs into a blind man, takes him out of his comfort zone, and doesn't say anything to him. You know what I think? I think the guy got uncomfortable. I think in the silence, the guy became anxious. And I, be, I, I can't prove this, but let me use my imagination, if, I, if you will. I think this guy began to kind of pull on Jesus a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute, where are you taking me? I can't see where we're going. I'm not comfortable with this. Jesus, I think you misunderstood my sins. My, my friend said, heal his eyes. And I think you misunderstood them and thought he, you, they said, he needs exercise. You misunderstood them. I need a healing. I don't need to take a walk. I don't need to take a trip. I don't want to go on this journey. Talk to me, Jesus. Say something to me. And Jesus, in this journey into an unknown, unfamiliar, uncomfortable place, is absolutely silent until he gets him where he wants him. And isn't that what most of us are facing right now? We become extremely uncomfortable in silence. Some of us long to hear from God, and some of us need to hear from God, and some of us have been begging God to say something to us, but in the silence we have grown uncomfortable, and we're crying out to God, we're begging God, please God, say something to me, and God isn't saying a word, and it's driving us crazy, and we become anxious, but I came to tell you this morning that you can trust the psychologist even when you can't hear him. You can continue to follow him, because the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. You can trust him when you can't hear him. Even when he's not speaking you to, to you directly and you can't tune into his voice and you're not sure what to do, just keep following him, keep trusting him, keep holding on, keep going where he says to go, keep doing what he says to do. Because if you can ever learn to trust him in the silence, you will find him. And when he gets you where he wants you, he will say the right word. Besides... The teacher doesn't talk during the test. Have you ever figured that out? I, you know, 
I, I, I've been out of school a while, but I do remember this much. If, if the teacher was giving us a test and you talked during the test, what happened? You got in trouble, right? The teacher doesn't talk to you during the test. The teacher talks to you before the test and after the test. The test is when we find out if you learned what you were supposed to learn. So if God is silent right now, hold on and understand that you're just in the middle of a test. And we continue to trust him until he gets us where he wants us. Truth number three, healing. Oh, I love this, but it makes me mad too. Healing requires dissatisfaction with better. See, this is a portion of Scripture years ago when I read it. It aggravated me and it disappointed me because I thought Jesus had a bad day. Ever thought, wondered if Jesus ever had a bad day? Ever wondered if Jesus woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Ever wondered if Jesus had bad hair? Uh, ever wondered if he, he just woke up on, and, and said, you know, I just don't, I just don't want Because I, I don't know about you, but I've searched Scripture and discovered that at least six other occasions Jesus deals with blind people. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 21, John chapter 9. Six other occasions, Jesus touches blind people one time, and they're healed. And now, Jesus has to touch somebody twice. Did he have a power shortage? Had he used up all of his miracle-working power on other stuff, and he just hasn't regenerated enough power? Maybe he missed his fasting day. By the, by the way, tomorrow's fasting day. You may want to push it to Tuesday since we're all going to be eating hot dogs tomorrow. Maybe he didn't fast enough that week. Maybe he didn't seek God's face. Maybe he missed his morning devotions three mornings in a row and it cost him. Why all of a sudden did Jesus not have enough power to fix this guy with one touch? I mean, you go back in the New Testament. I've already read some of this to you. Jesus would touch. I read this to you last week. The woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus. He didn't touch her. And she's healed. The centurion comes to Jesus and says, you have so much power that if you would just speak the word, I don't have, you don't even have to come to my house. You don't have to come into my door. If you would just say the word from five miles away, you've got so much power, so much authority that my servant will be made whole. And now Jesus has a bad day. He has just read out of Luke chapter 4, just quoted out of Isaiah, that he has power to bring sight to the blind. Was he lying? Because what happens is Jesus comes into contact with this blind man, touches him the first time and says, what do you see? And the man says, I can see shapes and forms and silhouettes. Men look like trees walking around. Hear me this morning. Compared to where this man was, he's better. Think about this a moment. He's been blind as a bat. Can't see his face, his hand in front of his face, bumps into walls, bumps into curbs, bumps into people. And now Jesus touches him the first time, and now he can see shapes and forms and silhouettes. He's better than he was. And the reason I bring you to that place in that portion of Scripture is because most of us stop right there. We're better than we were. We've encountered God at least once in our life. Maybe it was in a special service. Maybe it was riding in your car. Maybe it was in your bedroom. But at some moment in your life, you've had an encounter with Jesus, and he touched you the first time, and guess what? You're better than you were. In fact, your wife will testify. 
that you're better than you used to be. But hear me this morning. I think Jesus did what he did. I think the psychologist did what he did to teach us a lesson. I think the reason that I've come to this conclusion, I think the reason he touched him once and asked him how he was doing was to see if he would tell the truth. Because this is what we do. I come into contact with Jesus and I used to hate everybody. I'm a racist and he touches me one time and now I go, you know what, Jesus? You've touched me once and I used to hate everybody that wasn't like me. Now I only hate black folks, so I'm so much better than I was. That's enough. I'll stop right there. I, I used to be addicted on drugs and I used to be an alcoholic and now I only go out and drink a beer every once in a while. Now I only smoke cigarettes. So compared to where I used to be, now I'm so much better than I was and so I'm satisfied that with that thank you for the first touch, that will do. Thank you very much, Jesus. And the truth is we're better than we were. I used to get mad all the time, and now I only lose my temper once or twice a month with my children or with my wife or with my spouse. And so, thank you, Jesus. The first touch was enough. I used to lust all the time, and I was driven by my lust, and I was consumed by my lust. But now, that one person is the only one I have any problem with, and when I see them, I lust. But that's so much better than I was. I think the psychologist is teaching us that the only way to get completely whole is to refuse to live halfway healed, halfway delivered, halfway set free, halfway sighted, fuzzy for the rest of our life, bumping into the same walls, the same obstacles, the same barriers, and calling that whole. I want to tell you that something this morning. Unless you can see clearly, you're not whole. Unless you are completely and told, Jesus didn't come to set us halfway free. Jesus didn't come to heal us halfway. Jesus didn't come to set us free from all the chains, all the bondage occasionally. He came and he touched us to set us completely free. And the psychologist, the psychologist is teaching us that the only way to become totally whole is to be honest and to become dissatisfied with better. How many of us are living our lives satisfied with just being better? Well, the fourth lesson that he teaches us is this, is that the psychologist will test our touch. A lot of us don't think that we need anything else from Jesus, but I got a test for you because if you'll notice out of the portion of Scripture that I read to you, Jesus tests the touch that he gave the man. Did you hear what he did? He touched him the first time, and here's the test. He says, after I've touched you one time, what do you see? So there is a test to this touch. The test was, how do you see people? Oh, this one's good. The same test applies today. How do we know whether you're really delivered? How do I know whether you're really set free? How do I know that you've really given everything over to God? Can I answer that question if you pass the test? Because the test is the same today. And the test is this. How do you see people? If you see people correctly, then you've been delivered and you've been set free in your whole. But if you don't see people correctly, then you need a second touch. Can I help you this morning? Here's how it works. Most of us have problems when we look at folks seeing them correctly. We think, oh, this is not going to go over well, but uh, just hang with me. We see people and think that they're helping us. But because we're not whole, we don't understand that in reality they're hurting us. 
Ever been in that kind of relationship? And that kind of, you've got a friend that everybody else is going, man, you don't need to hang out with them. They pull you down. They pull you away from God, and you go, no, I'm witnessing to them. I know what happens in teenagers' lives because I used to talk to them all the time, and they've got friends or a boyfriend or girlfriend, and mom and dad are going, you don't need to date them. They're pulling you away from God. No, no, God has given me a word. Well, let me give you a word. And we laugh at them, but we do the same thing. We email people that pull us down. We hang out with people at work that pull us down. We talk to people on our cell phone that pull us down. And we would fight you over those people and say, they're helping us. We can't see correctly. Kind of like Eliab. You remember in the Old Testament that David's brother shows up, or David shows up on the battlefield. And remember the story, he's got cheese and crackers for them. He's reinforcements. He's their afternoon snack. He's brought them a KFC quick pack. And instead, Eliab says this about David. His older brother, David's older brother looks at David and he says, you are an evil young man. And you are only here to make a name for yourself. No, I'm not. I'm the delivery boy. I brought you pepperoni pizza, buddy. But you can't see correctly. He couldn't understand that David wasn't trying to hurt him. He was trying to help him because, see, God sends you people in your life that you think are trying to hurt you, that God has divinely assigned to you that he's trying to help you. They're sent by God to nourish you and to sustain you and to speak life into you, but you think they're a killjoy. You think they just get on your nerves. I wish that youth pastor would get off my back. I wish that, that high school teacher would leave me alone. I wish that boss, my supervisor, would leave me alone. They're driving me nuts. No, 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 no. God has placed them in your life to keep you sharp. We don't see people. Samson, didn't. he needed a second touch. He thought Delilah was it. Man, she's everything I need. She's fine. She's hot. He couldn't see correctly and understand that she was hurting him. And that's true for us, too. There are just, as, just as much as God has assigned people to our lives, let me just give you some, a newsflash this morning. The enemy assigns people to our lives, too. That person you think is your best friend and that person you think is all that and a bag of chips and I, I can't, I'm happier when I... No, no, no. You need to see correctly and understand that they're hurting it's a lost art. We've talked, Julie and I have been talking about, there is a lost art called discernment. Nobody discerns anymore. We need to see clearly. So that's the test that you have to pass. If you don't see people correctly, if everybody's talking to you and saying you need to get rid of them and you don't see it, if everybody's saying they're trying to help you and you don't see it, then maybe, just maybe, you need to make an appointment with a psychologist and get a second touch so that the scales will fall off. Jesus opened my eyes. Let me see. And the final lesson this morning is this. The psychologist will probably tr change your travel plans. After you had an encounter with Jesus, this is my favorite part of this story, cracks me up. After, and you've got to read it in the King James. After, after you have an encounter with Jesus and you've gotten a second touch and you see clearly, Go back and read the instructions that Jesus gives the man. After he touches him and he sees clearly, he says to him, don't go back to your village. Can I modernize that statement for you? Stay away from the village people. You can take that any way you want to. Jesus understood something. I, again, I can't prove this, but please let me run with my imagination. I honestly do believe this, though. I think that the moment 
that he touched him the second time and his eyes cleared up and he saw completely and Jesus looks at him and said, don't go back into your village, stay away from the village people, don't tell anybody. I think that if the blind man had gone back to his village, he would have gone back to being blind. Can I prove it to you? I think I can prove it to you. Because that's what we do. We come to church like we did this morning and we encounter the presence of God and he touches us a second time and he makes us whole and he makes us complete and we feel better than we've ever felt. We've got more peace than we've ever had. We've got peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable. We feel like we're on top of the world. We feel like we can change the world. And then we walk right out of here and get back in our car and listen to the same junk we listen to on the way to church. And we go right back to our house and watch the same junk we watched before we went to church. And we go right back to our workplace or our school place and we hang out with the same individuals that were pouring us down. And we go back to being blind. We leak. Have you figured that out? We leak. We encounter God every week in here and we leak. Because we go back to our village. And I want to teach you something this morning. We have got to come to the place in our life where we love and cherish and depend so much on what Jesus has done for us that I am willing to delete any email address and I'm willing to delete any cell phone number and I'm willing to cut off any relationship and I'm willing to do, turn off any channel and I will, I'm willing not to go to a place if it will cost me my sight because my sight is more important than my friends. My sight is more important than my favorite radio station. My sight is more important than any of that because I am determined to keep what he's done in my life. And so the only way to do that is to determine who are the village people to you? What is your village people? Where is your village people? Where do you go that steals the touch of God from you? What do you listen to? Who do you listen to? What do you watch? Who do you spend time with that after you've had an encounter with God, instantly they pull it away from you and if you can discover who they are, if you want to keep your sight, you have to walk away. You have to walk away. So I just came this morning to tell you something. Stay away from the village people. Keep your sight. It's worth it. Jesus will change your travel plans. Once he touches you the second time, you won't get to go where you've always gone. You won't get to hang out with who you've always hung out with. You won't get to listen to who you've always listened to because your sight is more valuable than that. So you have to stay away. I want you to stand with me this morning. Can I tell you some truth? There are some areas. Hear me carefully. You know what Jesus did? He made the village off limits. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Some of us get touch after touch after touch after touch and we lose it because we will not, we will not stay away from the areas that God has said is off limits. I want to tell you something. We all have village people. I have village people in my life that if I hang out with them, I will lose my victory. Am I the only one? I didn't think so. There are places that I cannot go because if I go there, I'll go blind. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus wants to touch you the second time so that you can see clearly. 
But a lot of your healing depends on whether or not you will stay away from anything that will steal that healing. I want to pray over you, then we're going to do this together. Father, I thank you that you're the great healer. Jesus, I thank you that, that you're willing and able to heal us. I thank you that you're concerned about our life. I thank you that you are, as uncomfortable it is and as uneasy it is, as it is, you are unwilling to allow us to remain comfortable. I pray you'd make somebody uncomfortable right now under the sound of my voice. I pray they'd begin to squirm just a little bit. Even if they've been saved for 50 years, I pray you'd make them nervous right now. God, make us uncomfortable with what we've already encountered, with what we've already experienced. Make us desire and want more. Help us to be willing to go to the nth degree to get what you want for us. Father, I pray that for that person under the sound of my voice that's going through a period of silence, and they may have even begin to, begun to ask this question, Jesus, where are you? I can't hear you. Maybe they feel like you've forsaken them, but we know this. Your word says that you will never forsake us and you will never leave us. So, God, I pray that we would become extremely comfortable in the silence. Even if we can't trace you, we will still trust you and know that we can, we can depend on you. And, Father, I pray this morning that if there is anyone here that has received a first touch and, that, and we would take an account of our own lives and we're better than we were, but we're not whole, and we're not complete, I pray that we would be transparent enough to hold on for a second touch. And we would be honest enough with ourselves to declare we need a second touch. And how do we know that? By how we see people. Father, we know that if we don't see people correctly, then we're blind. And so I pray that in the name of Jesus right now over every person under the sound of my voice, if there are people here that think that they have relationships that are helping and they're hurting, I pray that their eyes would open and they would see clearly. They would know who's trying to help and who's trying to hurt, and they would be able to discern between the two, and they would cut off the ones that are trying to hurt. And they would depend on those. They would give an open door to those that are trying to help. And most of all, Father, this morning, I pray that you'd help us to keep what you've done in our lives. You'd help us to keep what you've started in our lives. In Jesus' name, I want everybody that will to come down to front. I know we don't normally do that, but we're going to do that this morning as a covenant with one another. We're going to make a covenant this morning. This is our covenant as you're coming. Listen carefully. How many of you have been touched by God at some time in, in the past? Maybe even this morning, God has changed your life. Four people. Anybody else been changed by God? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. You're all like cattle, man. I just say come and you all just kind of listen. Come on. Listen this morning. Got to do it. They're all doing it. I guess I'm going to go too. No. If, you, if we do it that way, it doesn't mean anything. We're going to make a covenant this morning. Let me ask you one more time. How many of you have been changed by the power of God in your life? So much better than you were. I'll testify. I'm better than I used to be. I'm pushing for whole. Amen. I want you to do that too. But I've already said this. I want you to hear me carefully again. A large degree of our healing, our wholeness, our complete, completeness is determined by whether or not we go back into our village. I don't know who the village people are to you. I don't know what the village is to you. I don't know where the village is. I just know this. We all have a village. We all have an environment that if we go into it will cost us. We all have people that if they speak in our lives it will cost us. And so 
I want us to make a covenant, kind of sealing this whole psychology series up. I want us to make a covenant as a body that we will help each other to stay away from the village people. That means there's some responsibility in that. You understand what I'm saying? That means that if I'm in relationship with you and I see you talking to people that I know are going to drag you down, I am obligated to walk up to you and bump you and say, village people. And, and, and if it's a big crowd and you can't, just step out where they can't see and start this. They'll know exactly what you mean. That means moms and dads, you may need to get your kid's cell phone and go through the contact list and delete somebody. That means young people, you got to be willing to allow them to do that. That means on your Facebook account, some of you need to go click delete friend. Send them a nice message. Love you. Just can't hang out with you. Village people. They won't get it, but you'll know. Just put a VP at the end of it. You'll know what it means. There's an obligation we have with one another. If you go back to the village and go back to being blind, you know whose fault it is? It's yours. You know who else's fault it is? Mine. Because I didn't help you. We got to help. What We're in this together. I like you sighted better than I like you blind. Because when you're blind, you bump into me. And you hurt me. And you hurt yourself and you hurt other people. So grab the hand next to you right now. We're going to make a covenant. We're in this together. Come on, say that with me. We're in this together. Look at your neighbor who's, who you're next to and say this to him. If you go back to being blind, you hurt me too. Turn to your other neighbor and say this. I'm going to keep you away from the village, people. Come on, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we make a covenant together that we're going to stay away from the things, the people, the places that cost us our sight. And not only that, we're going to hold each other accountable. If we see the people next to us going to people or to places or to things that cause them to go back to being blind and they lose the victory that they found in you, we're going to speak up. We're going to hold them accountable. We're going to help each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to help each other to keep our sight we're so much better when we're whole. And that's what we desire for one another. So, Father, as a body this morning, I make a covenant. We make a covenant together that we're going to walk insidedness. We're not going to walk halfway healed any longer. We're not going to live halfway whole any longer. We're not going to walk around here halfway set free any longer. We're not going to live halfway in anything. We're going to live wholly, completely set free, delivered, healed by your touch. And then we're going to help each other to keep that. Don't let us leak. Keep us whole. And Father, I pray that a holy boldness would overtake us so that we will rise up and speak when we see somebody stumbling. When we see somebody trying to get as close to the edge as they can get without falling off and they're renewing a relationship or they're going somewhere they shouldn't go, give us a holy boldness that we can walk up and just say village people to them and they'll know. Instantly your spirit will remind us. You said in your word that your spirit brings all things to remembrance. I pray that indelibly marked in our spirit right now, if anybody says to us village people, we will instantly, the scales will fall off and our eyes will open up and we will know we're about to go back to being blind and we will stop in our tracks walk away into wholeness I believe that's your desire for us 
believe you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody that can see. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 